0: Welcome back to Ask the Compound, where every week we get great questions from you, the viewers. Remember, our email here is askthecompoundshow at gmail.com. Duncan, how's it going?
1: Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you?
0: I'm great. Uh, We're brought to you today by bird dogs. I just this week got a new pair of the bird dogs stretch khakis nice i have to look nice sometimes dress up a little bit but also be comfortable you can buy them with or without the liner the liner's pretty key it's kind of nice
1: you're a big you know? liner guy i actually I, I like the i have a pair without i like them
0: yeah both are good we're still giving away they're still giving away these these dad tech hats yeah something about your name on it duncan <laughs> so if you go to birddogs.com slash atc or under promo code atc you can get that they also have great great polos i've been using the the shorts lately just for working out because cold to warm outside anymore, the polos are nice, it's great, birddogs.com slash ATC to find more.
1: They're also uh, our record sponsor here on Ask the Compound, they have sponsored more shows than anyone else, so okay, we so appreciate been on them. have more than
0: Bill Sweet even.
1: They have, they actually have, yeah, so I appreciate they should, that. They
0: should make a pair of Roth IRAs for us. Yeah. All right, let's get into it.
1: Okay. Good questions today. Yeah, so up first day we have a question from Chris, I'm 55 with a net worth of 1.1 million dollars. I'm a software consultant and quite bullish on my income rising. Uh, definitely with below our means, our kids will be highly competitive to get into top schools where it's estimated that four years will cost $250,000. In saving for his education, the money has been going into a couple of broker- brokerage accounts, $30,000 in Liftoff, which I never pay attention to, and $226,000 at E-Trade. Guess I've gotten lucky with E-Trade because it has done pretty well over the years. This is in large part due to early investments in Tesla and Nvidia, not bad. Uh, I'm pretty bullish on both of these stocks, but what do I know? I'm deliberating the following choices. Uh, One, liquidate both stocks and stuff into a high interest 15 month CD. Two, liquidate everything in the account, but those two stocks and stuff into a CD. Three, hold tight. The plan is to use loans for the first year. So we will need to start tapping into the money in the fall of 2025. What are your thoughts?
0: So Chris actually sent us his statement here. We didn't include it, obviously, but he's got massive gains in both of these stocks, like 5,000% or something. Uh, why don't we bring in a guy who's been talking about NVIDIA for probably longer than Chris has been holding it? Mr. Josh Brown. Hey, hey Josh.
2: Straight from CNBC wanna,
0: the Compound.
2: I want to just say thank you guys for having me on the show. I learn so much each week listening to you. I want to address one person in the comments and then we can get rolling. Carlo asks, is Josh a Subway guy or an Uber guy. I guess because I was late, and you guys usually start at 1.30, and we're getting rolling a little oh, bit late.
1: Yeah, I mentioned you were coming straight from NYSE.
2: Yeah, so I don't do subways. And it's not because I think I'm too good for the subway. It's it's literally just, it makes me so unhappy and depressed, I'd rather walk. So I'm either always in a car, or I'm walking, and I will literally walk walk 40 blocks. You know what the worst part of the subway, of subway is for me,
0: as being someone who every, doesn't do take every it very part, often? yeah grabbing one of the poles and the pole is warm for you
2: yeah we'll absolutely not grab anything at all (laughs) for any and what's funny is like we have like a dinner reservation somewhere downtown because we work in midtown manhattan and michael be like come on just take the subway it's quick it doesn't matter if it's one second every aspect of it is my worst nightmare and it's not the length it's the walking down knowing what you're about to do so i just i can't do it i'm sorry There's a lot of things I can't do. That's one of the things I can't do. Um, Yeah,
1: pro tip tip two, never sit on the subway. I've seen things. Sit? I've seen things. Just don't Listen to
2: me. (laughs) Never stand on the subway. (laughs) All right, sorry. So I'm facing the same dilemma as, what's his name? The guy that wrote that? Chris.
0: Chris, so he's sitting on these huge gains. Yeah. You might be in a different position. I I don't know if you have like a a goal to use this money for, but he's saying like, I have this goal. I know how much I need. I'm going to be spending it in like, Two years, and he's already got. He's, he needs two hundred fifty grand, and he's going to spend it.
2: I'm in the same position. My daughter just applied to twelve colleges last month, so someone's going to take her. <laughs> so she's applying to schools that are going to cost me like money. But we, so I didn't hear five twenty nine anywhere in what he said. And obviously, he doesn't own Tesla stock in a in a five twenty nine. Right, yeah, um, he said he's using
0: brokerage accounts.
2: Brokerage accounts. All right, so we liquidated all of our stock exposure for my daughter this year because we're using the money starting, you know, presumably starting next fall. Um, So we specifically put away for this event for both the kids. And we used, I think the best possible vehicle you could have done it with.
0: And the timing is pretty good because you can actually earn something in cash now that you sold it, right?
2: Yes. I don't really care what happens to the market because this is now like, it doesn't make a difference. This is, I I know for a fact I need to use the money. So I just mentally said, if I'm leaving money on the table because there's a stock market rally, whatever. Like that's the nature of what we're doing now. Um, but we were invested in Vanguard because it's the New York State 529 plan. So yeah, the S&P went up this year and I missed some of it, but you know it, it doesn't matter. What I would do if I were him is I would keep Tesla and Nvidia just because like- if you can liquidate everything else, literally put it into something high yielding until you need it a year and a half from now. That's the move. Or when's you need it? Fall twenty five. Yeah. So all right, it's two years from now. Yeah. Um, John, I probably give me a turn do out of
0: Tesla, Nvidia drawdowns. So yeah, last year risk. you you saw these these ones fall. I mean, Tesla was down seventy three percent, Nvidia was down sixty six percent. So that even sitting on huge gains, that that's the risk. Is that that money's not there when needed, and the good thing about the four-year thing is that you have time to space it out. So you could, like you said, you could you could leg out of the other stuff if you wanted to, and it's not just those two stocks. But
2: you would probably getting, say the other way around, though, right? You would probably tell him take the gains in the in the two solo stocks and try to hold on to the rest for another year. What would you, I would what probably? Would you tell
0: him? I would probably if if I know I'm I'm going to be spending this money in the next couple of years, I would I, I would lock it in. He's got the two fifty he needs. I wouldn't even. I mean, maybe keep 20% in the stock market if you really want something. But other than that, I, I'm i all for cashing it out and sitting in, you know, yeah. keep and chill or whatever.
2: I think I am too. I just, I think you made a, a, an important point. It's like, all right, you're applying to private colleges or whatever. You think it's, you think the bill will be 250. Well, that's not due in freshman year. You know, that's, you're paying that out over the course of four years, four years from the fall of 25 you're almost in 2030. Like it's possible Nvidia and Tesla could double again between now and then. I don't know. You know, I didn't think they would in the first place. Yeah. Uh, you know, like so. So I don't know. But it seems to be like part of the. It seems to be like to me that if you have some stock market exposure that you're taking off the table, you don't have to take all of it off the table. Uh, also, bad. if these are in taxable brokerage accounts, these are huge embedded tax liabilities. In the in the year that you take these gains in those two stocks, so he said he's early Tesla. He could be up. I mean, I'm early Nvidia. I own Nvidia from 2015. I think I'm up 3,000 percent. Right. So So maybe if he has other forms of other forms of liquidity, tap those first. That's what I'm saying. I think that's what I'm saying.
0: That makes sense.
1: So you you're saying you think long treasuries would be too risky, Ben, for your uh, risk tolerance.
0: What long-term treasuries? Yeah, well, he, he could, if he wanted to, he could he could you do said a T-bills. simple.
2: That's why I was asking. Oh, T-bills, yeah, not
0: T-bonds. So I'm, he could he could do a quick. He could do a ladder, do a, a ladder. five-year ladder or something, right? Yeah, something simple. I'd probably like that. do
2: twenty percent in one, two, three, four, five-year maturities. And yeah, just, and
0: you match those assets with the liabilities, and like it's done for.
2: It's a lot of work, though. You can find a target date fund. You could find a, a not a target date fund. Don't, aren't they? Don't they have the the target maturity bond funds now? Yeah, they're so pretty easy to those, use.
0: Yeah. I should have those. It's pretty easy.
2: Yeah,
1: I thought you were uh, gonna say trade or, options.
2: Yeah. Well, I was gonna say if you have a lift-off account, call us. We'll help you. Yeah. We know how to, know how to do this stuff. <laughs> All right. Excellent.
1: Okay. Up Hold next, on. we have a question from Matt.
2: Calls moving my mic. Okay.
1: <laughs> I appreciate Ben's long-term view <laughs> of of stock market correlations. Uh, I mean, of stock market corrections. Uh, but what if this time is different? What are the stats when the Fed is actively offloading trillions of assets and raising rates? What if this cycle is an anomaly and should be treated as such?
0: So I got this question from someone, John, do the chart on it. I did just kind of a quick, over the last 70 plus years, like what's the distribution of drawdowns in the stock market? Just saying like this is, we're down 10% right now. I think the average from all time highs at any point in time is like nine and a half percent. So it's almost like the average experience in the stock market is you're looking up from a correction, basically. All-time highs happen like seven or eight percent of the time since 1950. Most of the time, you're in a drawdown, 20 percent or worse. It's like one out of every six or seven years since
2: 1950. The S&P 500 has been 10 percent or further away from its high. Right. Is that worse? 36 percent of the time. Right. I didn't know that. So a third of the a third of the time that you're investing, you're investing in the midst of a correction.
0: Yeah, and my point was, yeah, like get used to it. This huh. is like no pain, no gain, no risk, no reward, that whole thing. But some people are saying, like, listen, throw all the historical evidence out the window because this time is totally different. The Fed is raising rates and the government is spending trillions of dollars and the Fed is reducing its balance sheet and inflation is going to be here to stay and all these things. And I think the thing that we've come down on is that like every time it's different and every time there's a correction, you think, this is the big one and the stock market is never coming back. But you look back historically and you go, well if that little dip on the chart there back in 1950 or 1980 or whatever, I would have totally bought that. But when it's happening in real time, you say in the back of your head you go, but what if this is it? What if it doesn't come back this time? I think that has only every one exception.
2: There's only one exception to what you're saying. That's Ben, that's true. And if we were like having if there were YouTube and in, in or podcasts in the 1970s and we were having this conversation, like we could substitute all the stuff that the guy is saying like when was the last time this occurred with the fed doing and this oil and shocks the, and nixon yeah and- we could say right we could we could substitute the oil embargo and all this other stuff and and watergate so i agree it's always different um the one time that there's an exception i think is the pandemic like we we had net positive flows into our ria in April and May of 2020, right. think in about how think about how market. crazy that is. Because you had an unemployment print, it was like the biggest drop in employment in history—one month drop. Like we, you had some superlatives where it's like, well, maybe this time it's not going to bounce back because, right? Right. But like investors didn't give a shit. In we had ne- I don't. I don't have the stats. I should ask Nick. But we honestly raised so much money. It wasn't us like telling people, hurry up, send us all your money. The market's about to bounce. This was like unprompted
0: yeah, clients.
2: Clients were just like, well, if I were ever to put more money into my accounts with y'all, this is this would be the time. And we were like pleasantly surprised. They definitely didn't expect that. Um, so either people got smarter over the years since we've been doing this or there was just something about that particular circumstance where this time, that time they knew it was different, but different in a different in for the right reasons. I agree. I, and
0: I think I think investors are more conditioned now. In the past, if you were look, if you were in the 70s, you'd look back and you'd see like the Great Depression, and then you'd see like this huge bull market in the 50s, but you didn't have as much time to look back and say, like, listen, every time the stock market goes down, it comes back. Right? There, there's never been a time where the stock market has fallen and it hasn't reached an all-time high. So
2: this just happens. And I, I do think. I'm not smiling about that. Nicole keeps backing my microphone away from me and I keep getting closer to it. <laughs> <laughs> just eating it. Sorry, Nick. Uh,
0: All right. But I think especially for young people, they look at the state of the world and the scary headlines and, and think like, it's never been this bad before. It, the, I think William Bernstein had a quote that was something like, the only black swans are the history you haven't read yet. Like history has always been terrible, unfortunately. It's just the scary headlines are 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 just beamed into our faces every
2: single day now. And we can't yeah, we get have away so, from it. Right. That. We have more exposure to the news, but also the news's profit motive has never been more. Um, so it's always it's all the the profit motive of the news has always been to impulse people into doing something, you know, put down a nickel, buy a newspaper, or tune in at six p.m. You know, for Cronkite. That that part has not changed. It's just like everything else in the world. It's on steroids, right. and so the, like the incentive system for people writing market news is to get you to read theirs and not someone else's. And so once you understand, and I, you know, as I've talked about before, I eat, sleep, and breathe that world. So I can tell you um, I'm not exaggerating. Like this is a much more challenging media environment for the average investor. It's a fire hose. It's way worse than anything that any other generation has experienced. It feels like mass media has
1: become more and more like TMZ. Instead of TMZ becoming more and more like mass media,
2: listen. I, I I've sat in meetings like where editors at major publications were were like, yeah, but how can we like, <laughs> how can we make this more? In- they'll say like, how can we make this more urgent, or how can we make this more interesting? So you know, I I know like I, I'm one of the people who knows, and the th- like
0: we can't, we don't know what's how bad corrections in the future are going to be or what the reasoning is going to be or. When stock when the stock market is going to have a period of of crappy returns like that stuff is all going to happen. But I don't think that doesn't mean you abandon risk assets because they're going to make you feel uncomfortable from time to time. Like this is totally normal. The feeling of of discomfort that that happens to every investor. So to, right. History.
2: So so a button up, what he's asking is perfectly legitimate. He's like, look, I get it. You have these this data back to 1950, and you're showing us, you know, how often stocks are in a 10% drawdown and how often they're at highs, but. What's not in your data set is the unique set of circumstances that we're living through now, including, you know, a record setting pace of rate hikes and, you know, the Fed shrinking its balance sheet and government deficit. Yes, you're correct. This particular mix of circumstances does not show up in a data set going back to 1950. Um, but can I show you Vietnam? Can I show you presidential assassinations? Multiple? Like, like you know, can, I'll show you some other stuff that's not going on right now. You know, right. so that's I think that's a good point. Yeah, let's not beat a let's not beat a dead horse. What else we got? Yep, next one.
1: All right, up next, we have a question from Joe. A question I've asked my friends and would love to hear you guys discuss in detail is what makes the tech giants of today any different from Cisco, Intel, or Microsoft after the dot com bust. Could V stocks end up going nowhere over the next decade? Why are the tech stocks of today any different? So kind of on the same theme.
0: It's, fu- it's funny that Microsoft is, is one of the big tech stocks today, and it was. John, throw up the chart here. I did Microsoft, Cisco, and Intel going back from the 1999 peak, early 2000 peak. Microsoft is actually the only one that's come back. Cisco and Intel are still underwater from back then. And Microsoft was underwater for 16 years, I think. So it's 2016 on a price basis that it took to round trip. Uh I'm not sure many people realize this. The Nasdaq 100 was underwater from 2000 to 2016 as well. After going through an 83% drawdown, so as great as the Nasdaq 100 has done in the past like decade and a half, it went nowhere for over a decade and a half. It's it's interesting if you look. So from 20, 2009, the Nasdaq 100 is up 19.2% per year, which is just like impossible for any professional investor to beat. Since the start of 2000, it's only up six and a half percent per year, because from 2000 to 2008. The Nasdaq 100 was down 12 percent per year for like for almost a decade. So, I mean, that was that was the craziest the U.S. stock market has ever gotten. But I I guess the way I look at it is the biggest difference between now and then is these companies are like conglomerates now, right? Like all, Microsoft, how many different business lines do they have? How many different business lines does Amazon have? But the good kind, not GE, right? Yeah, back then I don't think these these companies were as bulletproof. Now, that doesn't mean these companies can't underperform, but to have that sort of level of underperformance, I think things got so silly in the dot-com bubble that this is a different story.
2: So there's a few things. What separates this from 2000, in my mind, These today's tech companies versus... The, first of all, the NASDAQ was like 86 times earnings back then. And one of the things skewing that number higher, the PE ratio, is that a lot of the companies were just not profitable. So the largest uh, dot com IPOs not only were they not profitable; they had no revenue. Like we're, like we're talking about companies coming public. Yeah, there were no fundamentals back then. No fundamentals. So that's a really, really big difference. That you look at the 100 companies that make up the nat- the, the queues right now, compared to the dot com bubble darlings. There's no comparison on a fundamental basis. Back then, these were companies doing experimental things with literally no business model. That is not what people are investing in right now. So that's an important distinction. Um, Valuations are not cheap now, but they don't look like that. So like Apple is now 24 times next year's earnings. They're expected to grow earnings by 8%. Next year, let's assume consensus is somewhat close. It's not cheap on its earnings growth, but it's got features that investors are probably prizing just as highly as earnings growth. It's got more stability than most countries in the world. They can issue debt at a triple A rating. It's got a forever fortress balance sheet. I think they have 144 billion dollars in cash. They're earning more money on their cash than some S&P 500 companies are earning in operating income, okay? So, and and to Ben's point, it it would be foolish to compare Cisco, which did one thing in the year 2000, they did networking like literally that that was the business um to an Amazon which is the number 1 or number 2 player in 10 different businesses right
0: i went to, i went to whole foods today which is owned by amazon and i paid yeah. for my whole foods salad or something credit to me for eating healthy with my palm i paid with the palm of my hand i go on imdb on my phone cuz i like looking up people who are in movies that's owned by amazon they own mgm prime video they have the cloud business it's they buy up all their competitors these days so these these companies are more than just one business line. There's so much more diversified. Yeah, that doesn't so mean they is, can't underperform. It doesn't mean the stocks can't like go that. down
2: or sit flat. Actually, one of the funny things about Microsoft, uh, now that you mention it, um, you know, Bom- Bomber kind of got a raw deal. First of all, he's the only, he's the only like mega billionaire who made his money as an employee, not a founder. I don't know if you know that. He didn't start my, you know, he, he was employee number 30. He was like Bill Microsoft, Gates' assistant or something. Microsoft hired him to follow Bill Gates around and probably make sure he didn't uh, put on two different shoes. Um, but he worked his way up within the company. And when Gates was tired, Bomber said, put me in, coach. And over that next 10-year period, while he was the CEO, I think Microsoft tripled their earnings. Problem is the stock didn't go up because starting valuations matter. Right, It was so high. I think it was sixty times earnings, and then by the end of that decade, it's like fifteen times earnings, and and part of that is multiple compression, the stock going down or nowhere, and part of that is earnings growth, but they're not getting credit for that earnings growth because it was not a bull market for tech, and and, Bomber stepped into the seat at a very high valuation. Yeah, you also had two fifty um, percent
0: stock market crashes, and so that right didn't help.
2: so. So it's very possible that NVIDIA grows its earnings by 20% a year for the next 10 years and the stock doesn't do much. That's the risk. What do, I mean, what do you want? You want guarantees? This is, we're all taking risks. Choose the risk that you want to take. Just for, for some
1: context and perspective, how did that era compare to like the SPAC era that we just experienced and that young people might have just experienced for the first time? Crazy, nah, there's right? No, there's
2: compa- no You're talking about like you're comparing a, like a, an acoustic guitar to an octopus, you know, like like there's no, it's not even apples and oranges, two different conversations. The
0: dot com bubble was like four or five years of that behavior, not just like a six month period. Also, the other, the other no, thing, the, spa- the of- spack
2: boom was a was a freak show. It was, it was not even like, like the thing about the dot com bubble. And this point has been made more eloquently by people like Marc Andreessen. Like all of the ideas were good, it was just too early, the world wasn't ready for them, but like. We had Webvan and Peapod, and these were early delivery grocery internet sites. It was just – it was too early. Yeah, it wasn't ready. The world it. wasn't ready. Also, Pets.com the- was a bad idea. 20 years later, we have Chewy. Great idea. So it's, it's, it's not it's, – it, you can't compare that to SPAC mania, which is just fundamentally bad ideas. It, it was people, people coming public. Uh, oh, uh, we're going to build a submarine with a screen door. Oh, you are. Here's uh six billion dollars. You know, like uh, forget that. It's not. We're not. We're not talking about that. The, also, okay. the two we of these. We built uh, a solar, solar power flashlight company. You want in? <laughs> the, <laughs> My nephew started it this morning. We're worth uh nine hundred million dollars. You want in? Yes, I want in. Said the, the pension fund manager. <laughs> these questions,
0: though, that like are just like uncomfortable investing in stocks. Like this is the reason that stocks have the highest. Return over the long term because the future is unknown and you really just don't know. Like the 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 people that don't give it the benefit of the doubt or like are worried all the time, this is why stocks give you good returns, because they are risky. That's all well said. Thing. all right. Next question.
1: Okay. Up next we have a question from Jim. I'm having an asset allocation dilemma in my late fifties. In my in my late fifties, doing well financially, not to brag. Rapidly approaching retirement and bonds have finally uh, finally have some yield after 15 years of 0% rates. I know I should be de-risking my portfolio and now is a great time to do it, but I also know my wife and I have probably 20 to 30 more years to grow our wealth and keep up with inflation once we retire at 65. I would love to hear your thoughts on how to think about this transition phase in one's investing life cycle since there's no handbook for this kind of thing.
0: Good question. This is like, this is the time when like your financial plan matters most. Cause when you're young, the thing that matters most is like saving and personal finance, middle age, investing probably takes over a little bit and you want to compound it and make sure you're investing the right way. But as you approach retirement, that's when like you lean on the financial plan and get like financial planning advice. Cause that's when you want to match up like what you're actually going to do this money with how you invest in like what your goals are. So it, I think that's probably the most important stage of life to have these conversations, right? Is because you don't know because that's the thing people have been talking to us for for a decade now is like, how do I balance out? I know I need to keep growing my money over two or three, maybe four decades when I'm retired, but I also have to have it be safe when I want to spend it. And that that balance is really difficult for people to, to figure out.
2: Yeah, I, I wish we could like, like really answer this question in this for, forum, but there are so many other variables that like a certified financial planner would have to know in order to like really satisfactorily tell you like this percent in this, that percent and that what a, what a certified financial planner is doing in the early stages of talking to a prospective client is trying to figure out not like sh- what should I invest in? It's when is the money going to be used? Right. And, and what, which money should be accessed at what time from which account? Like until you do that work, and come up with like, we're, all right, this bucket of money we know we need for blank, and and this is the, roughly the date. Now, you don't have to know the answers, but you have to like set some parameters, and I think that that's a financial planning question, and we would have to know a lot more info. to. Yeah, you have to, to like, like – m- you invert it. You're like, this is
0: how much I'm going to spend. This is when I'm yeah, going to spend it. Now, you have to work yeah, backwards. Now, now how do I invest it? And that's the thing that most people don't have to think about when they're accumulating wealth. It's like yeah. the deaccumulation phase.
2: Well, I mean, th- I mean, this is like it's this. This is what we we do for a living, and uh, you know, not to not to like start marketing, but like this is a this is this person is a great candidate for building a financial plan with somebody that like. And this knows is why they're doing. Th- that's the age we tend
0: to get clients at, and a lot
2: of times yeah. is like m- maybe right.
0: something complex happens in their life. They get stock options, but a lot of times it's someone who's listen. I've built the wealth myself. I've done fine doing it that way. Now I need some help, and I have to talk to an advisor to figure out the next steps.
2: Yeah, I, I also think people like confirmation, or they like having somebody to bounce things off of. And you know, most people don't have someone in their life that understands taxes, insurance, like long-term, you know, retirement and different account types, and like it's just.
0: Yes. If it's you a, if it's, you text it's, most it's of your still. normal friends, I have an asset allocation dilemma. Yeah, They're probably right. not. You're
2: probably going to get a good answer. They're like doing fantasy football while they're talking to you. They have no yeah. idea. All right, what do we got? Anything else? Yeah, we got one more. Yeah,
1: okay. last but not least, we have a question from Andrew. Uh, I like this question. I have these
2: two- questions questions were all seven hundred words long. Yeah. These, are, these are like uh, you should see posts. them before I edit them. Yes, we okay. actually scrub them a little bit. I shorten them and Duncan shortens <laughs> them again. I mean, yeah. they're great. Yeah, they're great. I don't. No disrespect. They're yeah. they're great questions. People right, give go. us a lot of information. Do it. Do it.
1: Okay. Uh, I have two young kids, and we're starting to discuss giving the older one, age five, an allowance. We have an idea of the amount, $5 a week, and an idea of uh, how to teach them to budget using the three-jar method, saving, spending, giving. However, we can't agree about whether or not to tie this to chores, the arguments mm-hmm. being, one, money in the real world is tied to work, so he should learn that lesson. Number two, budgeting, spending, and savings are a unique skill set uh, that should be learned separately from chores, which should be done out of a sense of familial—it's a hard word—responsibility, not for a reward. I was wondering if you give your kids an allowance and which approach you take.
0: Five, five seems young to me. So my my twins are six, and it's <laughs> like gonna th- say, a couple, This is not going to stick. <laughs> yeah, so a couple months ago, my six-year-old daughter Kate said out of nowhere, she just goes, "Thank you for giving us such a nice house to live in," and I was like, "Oh, that's very kind of you." And she said, "It must be really expensive to buy a house." I said, "Yes. How much do you think it costs?" She said, "I don't know, nineteen dollars." Yeah, close. Close. Uh, so I, I that like was the nineteen forty-eight. Yeah, I like the bucketing approach. That's like the Ron Labor strategy from *Opposite of Spoiled*. So they're obviously they're they've done some research on this. Josh, you have kids that are older than me. What was because I I've heard both of these. Some people say like the alliance ha- the allowance has to be tied to work to show that you get some some sort of output for doing hard work? And some people say, no, 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 the chores are part of being in the family. The allowance is a different thing to help teach about money. Does it really matter?
2: I don't think anything that you really teach your kids under the age of 12 is gonna stick. Like maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I think you just like give them stuff when they're, let them be kids. They have their whole lives to worry about budgeting and all this horrible stuff. You know what I mean? Like just let them be kids and then what's going to happen is they're going to start wanting things like not silly things from toy stores or, or like an app on their phone, but they're going to like want stuff. Um, so for my daughter, it's like makeup and clothes and jewelry, you know, very traditional, exactly what you'd expect. And so she babysits and it's funny. Like she asks, she asks for something and then, uh, and then my wife will buy it and she'll be like, all right, I'm going to contribute my babysitting money. My wife will look at her like, how many hours of babysitting do you really think you did? Like your, your contribution is not really going that far, <laughs> yet. but it's the point like to yeah. the question to, to, to answer the question. It is good. It's good for her to feel like she's making a contribution, even though we're buying her a, like a bag. That's like very expensive, you know um, it's good for her to give up some, have skin in the game. So I agree with that. My son doesn't work. He's a bookie. He's in five fantasy football uh, <laughs> leagues. He wins two or three of them every season. Um, including the one at RedHolt's Wealth, um, and they're not letting him win. He's just a very talented gambler. And then he grabs my phone and he created a Caesar's profile for himself. And he's doing in-game betting while I'm while I'm downstairs in the kitchen uh, making a sandwich. And I don't. He has a jar full of cash, and I don't even understand where he's getting it from. You know, I'm probably gonna find out he's selling oxy in in ninth grade. I have no okay. idea what's going on. He's really good with money, though, because he doesn't want anything. Like, he spends money once a year. He wants, like, to put money toward going to a, a Knicks game. Like, that's – and he literally – he'll be like, here's here's $300. Dude, I didn't see $300 until I was, like, 22. See, that's my – So, I don't know – my nine-year-old He's is very a good with money. He does not sell anything.
0: My daughter, if she gets money for birthday or Christmas or Easter or whatever, she stocks it away in her thing, and she's a saver. I think that's kind of how I was when I was young, too. And when we forget to get money for the cleaning person
2: that comes every two weeks,
0: you yeah, steal from her. Out
2: the jar. So, so Oh, so I forgot what I was trying to say, so let me finish this. So what's interesting is that um, I don't think I can tie – chores to money for him like for her the babysitting she'll and she'll complain oh i I have no money all my friends are doing this thing it's like all right well for the last two weeks in a row you got you got an invite to babysit you said no like that you know and then by the way parents in my town they're paying like uh i think they're paying like 20 dollars an hour so you sit in someone's house for 80 bucks for on a friday night like do it my son he'll be like that's, that's not like, like i'll give is like you, I'll give you five, five years. yeah so i'm like i'll give you I'll give you five dollars, take out the garbage uh this week he'll be like, i'm gonna do a five dollars dad you know? <laughs> so it's interesting, it's like two very it's and so we taught them I think the same you know values and whatever blah blah blah, but ki- people are gonna be people, you, so you i don't do. I don't think you should torture your kids with with uh Chores to teach them the value of a dollar. I don't think it's going to go anywhere.
1: Also, you do run the risk of becoming the parents that all the other kids are afraid of because you're like really strict and you give your kids a list of chores they have to do every week. And there's always that kid. You don't want to like be that.
2: I think kids are going to learn, unfortunately, they're going to learn about money the hard way. Like they're going to do stupid stuff with money that either they get for their birthday or that they earn. Like they're not not going to learn much.
0: My, my, da- much, my so. daughter at nine is, has been asking me, kind of trying to figure out like, what I do for a living. Uh, she's most impressed with the fact that uh, we're on YouTube. But she trying to explain what the concept of money and investing to a young person is nearly impossible. Well, you have this money, yeah. then you make it grow bigger. But it's, it's, it's a concept that is so foreign that it's just their eyes gloss over and they're done.
2: You know what? You know what's like. I I don't want to go down this road too far because we know like a hundred people in real life that are going to get really upset about this. But like, I kind of laugh to myself when I see people doing like financial literacy for eighteen-year-olds, like like about retirement invest. Like, what are you talking about?
0: Yeah, you have to wait like, till, till it nobody actually should
2: be doing what re- matters. Nobody should how about be investing just for retirement loans in their twenties. Right. Yeah, you have to wait till how it, about it's just actually go applicable. be. How about just go be 24 years old and don't save anything? It's like the only – Ben, I know that's anathema uh, from where you're coming from. But like just my, my personal opinion is the only time in your life you're ever going to be 24. Yeah, what do you worry no about retirement? You be, I agree. You, you, you could be dead next year. What are you, what are you doing? You know? Enjoy yourself. But yes. You have no dependence. What, this theoretical retirement you're putting money away for, like I got to save money for my future children's college no you don't you have to go to Mexico that's what you have to do so I know that's I know that's like you know not like a fin twit approved take but that's the truth I agree
0: All right, thank you to Josh Brown for making it Uh, we have to go now because you have to go record the compounded friends probably
2: yeah like very soon Uh, you guys kill it every week thanks so much for doing the show and uh, I know the listeners love it and thanks for having me Thanks,
0: Uh, Thanks, everyone, for coming on live. Remember, leave us a comment, rate, review. Leave us a question on YouTube or email us, askthecompoundshow at gmail.com. We'll see you next week.
1: See you, everyone. Thanks for listening to Ask the Compound. All opinions expressed by Ben Carlson, Duncan Hill, and any of their guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may
2: maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.